Hey guys, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. For this episode, I was joined by Dr. Kathleen Cooney to learn more about CADA, or the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy, and why education surrounding euthanasia is so important. Sound familiar? I always wanted to be a vet, but I couldn't handle the idea of having to euthanize something. I'll be honest, that's a tough one for me to hear because it kind of paints euthanasia as something cold and detached that we do when in reality, as Dr. Cooney and I will discuss in this episode, it's often the exact opposite of that. One thing I think we can all agree on though is that euthanasia is a huge responsibility and that can result in a lot of jitters, especially when first learning how to handle these scenarios, but sometimes they can still happen even after you gain experience. Dr. Kathleen Cooney has been practicing advanced end-of-life care since 2006. As we mentioned, she's the Director of Education for the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy, or CADA, and Chief Medical Officer of Caring Pathways Incorporated. Dr. Cooney is a past president of the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care and assisted in the development of AHA's end-of-life accreditation program. She's well known for her work in companion animal euthanasia and has authored two books on the subject, along with numerous articles and book chapters. Dr. Cooney's collaborated in end-of-life training for the AVMA, AHA, NAVC, IAAHPC, Fear Free Program, SVME, and many more. She's a strong advocate for best practices in all aspects of end-of-life care and speaks nationally and internationally on such topics. Dr. Cooney is currently working towards board certification in animal welfare, expected by 2023, and is affiliate faculty at CSU where she teaches end-of-life topics in welfare. She loves all things old and gray. Let's go ahead and get into our talk. Well, I am joined today by Dr. Cooney, and we're going to talk about CADA, the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy. So Dr. Cooney, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all this information with us on the podcast. Well, thank you. Vetfolio has been a great partner for CADA for many years, so we're happy to be here with you. Yes, and we're so happy to have you back. For anybody who doesn't know, let's first start with what CADA is. I don't know that education surrounding the euthanasia experience is something that we really think about. I don't think I got much in the way of euthanasia education in school. I'm so sorry to any of my professors who are listening to this and are like, you know, yes, I taught you that, Cassie. But, uh, you know, not that I can necessarily think of the technical procedure of, you know, how to euthanize and being involved in a couple, sure, but formal education about some of the other aspects, I maybe not. So, The longer I'm out, I will say I absolutely am seeing the importance in education surrounding euthanasia and not just the technical part of it, but the whole experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about CADA, what it is, what the goal is, and and the education that it's putting out there? You got it. So CADA stands for the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy, and so we are a training Uh, organization to provide outstanding education in companion animal euthanasia to improve the overall experience for the pet, for the client or caregiver, and for the veterinary team. 
And I founded this back in 2017, officially probably 2016, but 2017 is when we had our first 10 hour master certificate program and wanted to be able to train veterinarians, veterinary technicians, practice managers, vet assistants, social workers, everybody who had already been out in the field for a while to elevate those best practices, to know how to do euthanasia in the best way possible. And then after we started to work within the profession, offered up this education to the veterinary schools as well, because wouldn't it be great if we could get these students, you know, day one ready for graduation to be confident in euthanasia, to have what we refer to as plan A, plan B, plan C, all in their, in their pockets ready to go to ensure a better experience, right? So it's kind of getting away from those challenges that a lot of them worry about within the first day, certainly the first week and in, in into practice. So CADA teaches everyone who wants to learn about euthanasia. It's not just limited to vets and techs. And now that we're into our fifth year, we have over 30 hours of content touching on everything from the techniques themselves to communication, to emotional intelligence, to variations between species. So we have, we have modules on exotic euthanasia and equine euthanasia, and of course, dogs and cats. And the website for CADA is cadainternational.com because we very much are an international group. So while we teach a lot here in the United States, we have a team up in Canada that instructs, and now we're growing into Australia. We've already taught in the UK, and we have webinars certainly all over the world. And so it's just been just a gem of an experience to tell you the truth, to go from myself in general practice to then running an, an end of life mobile service here in Colorado for many, many years to now then branching into education. It's just been a dream come true. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the most important things that we do. One of the things that kind of made my ears perk up as you were talking was the communication surrounding euthanasia. Because I feel like, you know, at the more you do it, the more you kind of find what feels comfortable, what feels genuine, the language that you use to describe things. But wouldn't it be nice to have the opportunity to find those words, find that communication before you're actually in the situation, rather than, you know, really having to learn most of that when you're in the moment to have that formal instruction and, and that forethought ahead of time. Yes, you use the word genuine, which is exactly right. We want to practice with authenticity and that comes with confidence. And of course, the skills that we need to be able to communicate effectively. And so one of the things that we teach veterinary students in particular is the importance of establishing rapport from the beginning of the appointment to really make a truthful, honest connection with families because that helps everyone to relax. And then when they're relaxed, they can be more genuine, but they need to have a script of sorts that they can rely on in the beginning that then will you know, evolve and become more to their kind of normal way of speaking where it's just like breathing. It's, it's just a real sweet spot. And that often comes after months and months and months and potentially hundreds of euthanasias where they finally have that skill honed. So we'd like to teach it ahead of time as much as we can, but no matter what, everybody's gonna trip up a little bit and after an appointment say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that or, or change their language in some way. 
But CADA in particular, even right now, is developing an end-of-life communication workshop. It's the first time we've ever done it, and it comes at the request of our students and our graduates that want more and more information about communication. So we're actually launching that this summer at a Denver event in 2022, and then we're going to have it at the AHA Connexity event coming up. So we hope to have it coming into VMX and other of the NAVC community events as well. But it's a really good communication three-hour workshop. I love that. Communication is such a big part of this. It's like you said, helping everybody to feel relaxed and you know comfortable with everything that's going on. And communication is, is at the core of that. So that's great that there's education specifically surrounding communication in the moment. And I guess probably leading up to as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. Leading up to it as well. So communication training has to touch on every element of the euthanasia appointment from the first connection on the phone to scheduling to when the family arrives or when a doctor might arrive at the home for a mobile euthanasia and establishing that rapport to describing and narrating the process so it's not scary or overwhelming and, and knowing just how to sit and be quiet. You know, that's not an easy thing for, for veterinary professionals to do, especially those who might be nervous and unsure what to say. So just being able to sit and be quiet. In fact, one of my favorite phrases is mouth closed, ears open, and presence available, right? And it's just a really good kind of mantra to live by in general life. But during euthanasia, it's that much more important. So if we can do good communication all the way through, then our client is going to get more of what they want. It's going to be a better experience for them. And it's going to cut down on mistakes and issues and other things that might come up to lead us to you know, a bad euthanasia experience. In fact, we had a recent study Kata did a study in partnership with Colorado State University where we looked at what pet owners think of or how they define a good death and therefore how they define a bad death. And only part of it was specific to what the pet actually would go through, you know, whether or not they were in pain, whether or not there was any complications from sedation or the technique itself. That was certainly a big component, but an equal level with that was the communication side of it, where they wanted to see compassion coming from their veterinary professional. They didn't want a lot of clinical talk and they wanted help with pre-planning, which again, ties into communication. So all of that is important and all of it is weaved into a good death experience. Absolutely. And that's the ultimate goal. A term that I've heard you use surrounding euthanasia is you harmony. So is that kind of what we're talking about here? What do you mean by you harmony? Yeah. So you harmony is a play on e-harmony, obviously. <laughs> and, <laughs> but we put the U in front of it spelled EU. So like euthanasia, then you harmony. And the concept is around creating a very gentle and relaxed, peaceful euthanasia appointment or experience that improves the mental health of the client and of the veterinary team. And by improving the mental health or just really settling into that appointment, reducing fear, reducing complications, then veterinarians themselves will be more, hopefully more fulfilled in their work where they can actually use a euthanasia appointment in the day 
as an opportunity to calm themselves, to relax, to get out of that sympathetic tone of just running around the, the hospitals all day and go, 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 uh, to resetting to parasympathetic tone, the relaxed state, to witness the beauty of the human animal bond in front of them, to be able to say goodbye to their patient, to their, to their client's beloved pet in a very appropriate way, very controlled way, a very gentle way. And of course, for then our clients to feel the same where they know that they achieved or witnessed the best death possible for their pet and can move forward in harmony themselves, right? So that for everybody, it's a very a meaningful experience and we just love it. We love it as a reset for the veterinary profession in particular. In fact, we put it out there to the AHA's Veterinary Visionaries Initiative, trying to think of ways to improve vet med as a whole. And part of that for us is to just get one, even if it's just one hour a day, where we're really involved with our clients, hearing stories, engaging with the pet in a, in a very tender way, a very intimate way. That's what euthanasia can be. So, so that's ultimately what euharmony is. But then we took that further. Kata created a hospital training program called Harmony, where we come in as a team and we look at the culture of a hospital and we look for some of those trouble areas, we look for what's working well, and that we evolve their euthanasia culture to make it the best that it possibly can be. So Harmony has two meanings for us. It's a philosophy or approach to gentle euthanasia, as well as our training program. I love how you put all of that. I felt like I could really relate to what you were saying, because in general, I would say, I'm going to going to bear my soul here once again on the on the podcast, but I would say that's how I feel about most of my euthanasia appointments. You know, when we have these pets where, you know, maybe there's just nothing more that we can do, they're older, you know, multiple comorbidities, things like that, to be able to make sure that they don't have to suffer and we can help them pass in a in a controlled and gentle manner and and give their families closure, handle the aftercare so that doesn't fall to the families and stuff like that. I find some of those appointments very fulfilling to be able to help in that way. And I'm kind of thinking in terms of a lot more mobile euthanasia practices starting up, that may just be my perception that there's more of them, but it, it seems to me that there is. Do you think that's related to you, Harmony, and people having that same sort of experience and saying, you know, yes, this is a service that I can provide that ultimately, if, if done correctly, does good for the pet, for the family, and, you know, therefore I find fulfilling at the end of the day? Yeah, it's a win-win-win across the board when euthanasia is done right. But to your point, yes, mobile vets are increasingly devoting time and energy to euthanasia. Some GP mobile vets have pivoted completely to end of life. And then there's other veterinarians and professionals that are adjusting or, or kind of changing their career path to go from GP hospital work to mobile end-of-life services. So whether or not that's strictly home euthanasia or it's euthanasia in hospice and palliative care, or they might be even adding in aftercare services where they're running crematories. I mean, many professionals are moving completely to this field, to this, this industry. And it is in large part because of the connection that they get to make with the families to again, hear those stories, to see the beauty of the human animal bond, even though it's sad, right? We all recognize that this is a very sad time 
for many, it's a helper's high. You know, they feel like they're doing really good. And at the end of the day, they've made a big difference in these families' lives and the pet's life to relieve them from suffering. And who doesn't want to be called an angel all day, right? That, that's, that's been my life for 16 years is such gratitude from families. And I'm sure you felt that as well. And we all know that we get a lot of thank you cards when a euthanasia is done properly. And Cassie, it's really a fascinating thing that's happening right now besides the growth of the end of life industry in large parts to groups like CADA and to the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care. They've been around for about 12 years now, but it's that veterinary students, you know, blossoming veterinarians would actually go to vet school to pick this as their profession because they want to focus on end of life. And back in the day, euthanasia was a big limiting factor for people who wanted to become veterinarians, but didn't want to euthanize. They didn't want to take a life. And now we're starting to see a pretty significant shift in that, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. I love it. And that's in large parts to groups like Lab of Love and Caring Pathways, Blue Pearl Pet Hospice, and others that are creating opportunities for veterinarians to work within, not to mention, of course, all the smaller independents that are growing and growing and growing. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that so many times. Oh, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I couldn't stomach the idea of euthanasia. But you're right. I hadn't really thought about it that because it is a growing field, I'd never really pictured euthanasia as like a draw to the field and somebody saying, I want to become a veterinarian so that I can obviously not like, so I can euthanize things, but so I can provide that healthy end of life care for these pets. Perfect. Exactly. Well said. So one of the things that I really love about CADA is that it's very research-based and, you know, we've done a lot talking about our experiences and communication, but, you know, you mentioned you had done this survey with pet owners about a good euthanasia versus a bad euthanasia. What are some of the other topics that CADA is currently investigating? So we've started with research a while back, looking at intrarenal injections in cats. I've been very involved with the American Veterinary Medical Association and their euthanasia guidelines. And it was probably back around 2009 where I started to perform intrarenal injections in cats, which has now become a very popular technique, not only for cats, but small mammals in general. And we didn't have a lot of data on that particular technique for their guidelines. So went ahead and started up a research project on understanding what volume of drug would be used for intrarenals, how fast our patients pass and how effective it is. And it's turned out to be a very elegant technique that thousands and thousands of professionals use now all over the world. So that is one of the research projects that CADA helped with. We have this pet owner survey that we've been working on. We now have another one coming up that's going to be veterinarians helping to define a good death or a bad death. And, and we might be able to give our listeners a little bit more information on that at the end. And then CADA has also done research into aftercare. So what is it that owners are looking for with aftercare pre-planning 
and how involved do they want to be with how their pet is handled after it's deceased? What do they expect their pet's body to be placed in? How long is it acceptable for a pet to stay at a hospital before it moves off to the crematory? Those types of things. And that particular study was published in Topics in Companion Animal Medicine, I believe is the name of that journal. And that came out around 2020. And then another study that Kata is looking at, because yes, I do love research, that Kata is going to be exploring the success of intraorgan injections in general, in particular of whether or not there's any possible pain associated with intraorgan injections. So just kind of thinking about a design to this study where we look at pain perception through using a device like Pain Trace from BioTraceIt, where we can, you know, maybe apply a device like that to an anesthetized patient to make sure that intraorgan injections are not painful. We believe they're not, but it'd be nice to get some data behind that. So in general, our research focuses in on anything that's going to improve the euthanasia appointment, whether or not that's going to be focused on communication, to uh, pre-planning, to defining a good death, and then of course the techniques themselves. That's fantastic. And, you know, kind of on the topic of researching all of the things that make a good euthanasia and potentially changing some of our thoughts and techniques as we move forward and we learn more, what are your thoughts on who performs euthanasia? Do you have an opinion on credentialed veterinary technicians being able to perform these procedures? I love this question. Thank you. So yes, I do. I believe that veterinarians certainly being high skilled, especially if they go through veterinary school and are trained the way that we want them to be trained, Cassie, that's really important. But veterinary technicians who are also trained, in my opinion, are perfectly suited for this procedure. As long as they are compassionate, they understand the complexities of the drugs that they're working with and know how to pivot from, as we say, plan A to B to C, such as an intravenous injection, moving to a different one, like an intrahepatic or an intracardiac injection, as long as they're trained, which is exactly what CADA does. We have a lot of technicians or nurses that take our program. They, in my opinion, are well-suited. And so the hurdle to that comes down to the states, right? In particular, what states allow technicians to perform euthanasia, either in the hospital setting with direct or indirect supervision, and those states that allow technicians to travel into the field with controlled substances. So the state, like the state veterinary board might allow a technician to travel to the home to perform procedures. However, if they can't take controlled drugs, that's a limiting factor. So CADA also lends our voice to initiatives and advocacy in this way. So if any of our listeners are wanting to make change within a state to improve the way veterinary technicians can get involved with euthanasia, please reach out. We'd be happy to lend our voice. Very cool. I think it could really kind of open the door with a lot of the things that we're talking about here in euthanasia, just to re-examine what we've done up to this point and see how we can do it better and how we can provide an even better service for pet owners. Well, this is an opportunity to plug our blog at this point. So kadainternational.com has a great blog page. In there is two blogs in particular that are highlighting veterinary technicians in the euthanasia space. And we do list out, or at least we used to list out, I think it's still there, the states that currently allow 
technicians to perform euthanasia with direct or indirect supervision, because that's an important distinction. And those states who don't, but maybe there are some readers that would want to make change in, in that direction. So I'd love groups like the ABMA and AHA and other organizations to start to speak up and say, yes, technicians who are properly trained can do this well. And there's conversations right now about creating mid-level practitioners. So if we have properly trained mid-level practitioners or veterinary technicians in euthanasia, we should be leveraging them at every possible opportunity. So I understand that when it comes to the actual euthanasia process, CADA has broken it down into 14 distinct parts. Can you give us just kind of a brief summary of the distinct components of the euthanasia process? Absolutely. So yeah, our entire master program, which is 10 hours, is framed around these 14 essential components. And the 14 come from the acronym coming from good euthanasia, basically good euthanasia is 14 letters. So the G has something attached to it and the OOD and so on. So we touch on the importance of grief support materials that are provided to owners. We talk about the importance of outlining caregiver or client and pet preferences, offering privacy before and after euthanasia, delivering proper technique, and establishing rapport, which is absolutely one of my favorite and something that we talk about a lot in our trainings and all the way down to the importance of assistance with aftercare. So those 14 essential components are absolutely what we frame everything around and we hope that it touches on all the elements important to the procedure. So it's kind of interesting that our 10 hour master program uh, for some would be like 10 hours, that seems like a lot of information about euthanasia, we can't even cover all of it in that, which is why we have additional modules to supplement that 10 hour master certificate program. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more I do it, the more, you know, the wheels start turning and you're like, well, we could do it this way. And there's all these different changes that we could make or, or different things that we could do to make this a good experience. So yeah, I a hundred percent believe that you can't cover the whole thing in 10 hours. And I love that you've broken it out into distinct parts to focus on rather than what can be this overwhelming experience if you don't break it down into the different parts. Yeah, it's just a nice thing for everybody to kind of adhere to, right? And in fact, after an appointment, the idea is for the practitioner to think about those 14 essential components and ask themselves, did I do that? Did I do that? Did I do that? And what did they miss? And is it something that they're regularly missing? And is it something that the team is missing that they can adjust their protocols, you know, their standard operating procedure to make sure to get an element like that in there every time? such as grief support material, right? If they're like, oh, I forgot to get that to the client. Well, how do they need to change their approach to make sure every single family gets that, right? And, and were they avoiding pain and anxiety? That's one of the A's in the acronym. So those types of things, it's basically just a checklist to think about and then help, help a team to adjust if they want to do those better. And with those 14 essential components, again, that's the, the goal of it is to be a framework, be a template, but they also just open up conversations. So when our students and our professionals, when they take the master program, we want them to then bring that back to their team and they can highlight those at rounds and they can have topics about them. And we even suggest that every 
Every year, there's one month that's dedicated to euthanasia education in that hospital setting or in that service team so that they can stay fresh, they can stay current with what's happening out there in euthanasia-related topics because it's so easy to get stale. You know, It's so easy to just kind of get stuck in, oh, this is always the way we've done it. And we want to empower our graduates to make change for the better. Yes, that is not an area where you want to feel stale or just like you're going through the motions. And we focused a lot on what we talked about earlier, communication and making this a good experience. But part of this education, I'm sure, centers around the more technical aspects. Like you had mentioned the intrarenal injections. I've used that technique myself. I think it's a it's a good one. And I love that we're looking more into making sure that they're not feeling any pain when we're doing that, because I agree, it is a, a very elegant, very effective technique to use. So thinking along those lines of different ways to perform euthanasia, the the intricacies of the different drugs we're using and how they interact together, what do you feel are some of the more technically challenging aspects of euthanasia? Probably uh, for me, just right off the top of my head is thinking about the anatomical complexities of our patients such as brachiocephalics that might have a you know harder time breathing when they're in deep sleep, those short-legged breeds that make it harder to find veins. We might have those breeds that are predisposed to you know, a lot of abdominal fat. So it's difficult to find the liver, to find the kidney, things like that. So anatomical challenges, no veterinary professional likes those. When it comes to the techniques themselves and to deliver them, I know that a lot of practitioners worry about, you know, finding a vein. So whether or not blood pressures are low, we've got patients that we haven't been eating or drinking well in, in many days. In fact, I always kind of joke that a nemesis for me and for so many others is a basset hound at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning that haven't been eating or drinking. And now their blood pressures are low because it's first thing in the morning. And, and now we're supposed to find a vein on these short little legs with a lot of loose skin. So we all, we all, many of us have a nemesis. We're like, oh boy, here we go. But when we understand how easy it is to just move on to another technique and not worry about it, then it's, it should be pretty smooth sailing. I think one of the bigger challenges that vet professionals, including the technicians find is whether or not they have to describe that to the owner, you know, how much do they actually have to get into that detail with an owner when they're going to do something like an intracardiac or an intrahepatic or an intrarenal injection, especially if what everybody is so familiar with is intravenous. In fact, I was talking to a team out of England the other day. And there is a show, a program over there that does show euthanasia from time to time. It's just like a kind of like an animal planet show where it's the realities of general practice and everything that might be, you know, shown with euthanasia is going to be intravenous injection. So that's what society is expecting. So one of the challenges I think we have is just seamlessly moving on to an intraorgan injection without it being a big deal. And that's one of the central tenets for CADA that we teach is to edit down how much we talk about that yes, clients need to know a bit of information, but do they need to know all of the details of, of you know what an intracardiac injection looks like, for example? What we teach is to just lay the hand, our hand over the chest area and let the family know that we're gonna give the medicine in this area 
and they'll pass immediately or within a few minutes, you know, of course, laden on with very soft language. That's it. You know, we don't really have to get much more involved in that, but that can be scary to a practitioner who's always done an intravenous injection to now adjust and do something different. So on the technical side of things, I'd say that's a, a challenge that I hear about from our vet professionals, even though it doesn't necessarily need to be. I would say in some cases, an intracardiac injection can just be a very technically challenging thing to do in and of itself. It can, it can. So that's what our laboratory workshop in particular of our master program focuses in on where we teach those techniques with cadavers, right? So how nice is it that you can learn that without a client sitting right there and watching? And we're pleased that we've got some trainings coming up this year yet with the fetch conference. And we also do that at VMX. So far we did it last year in 21, no, no, in 22. And now we're doing it again in 23. So we invite all of our listeners here to join us at the VMX 2023 for our hands-on laboratory. It's just a great opportunity to learn better intravenous approach to intracardiac, intrahepatic, intrarenal. We do teach intraperitoneal as well. We also talk about oral administration and even some non-pentobarbital administration techniques as well, which is a little bit unusual, but it's important if we ever have a pentobarbital shortage again. Oh my goodness. So many great resources on this podcast, talking about CADA itself, the blog, the different surveys you have available, different workshops people can take. I mean, there's just so many opportunities here to really elevate our, our euthanasia game, not to make light of it, but hopefully everybody no. takes my meaning. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, one of the things we can be, Cassie, is kind of a tester, if you will, for those who are considering getting into end of life work. You know, is this something that they're going to find fulfilling? Have they found their tribe? They can come to a CADA training and talk about, you know, what it's like to run a business. I mean, we, we get into all of it, whatever people want to talk about related to euthanasia and end-of-life work, we get into. So they can use us as a bit of a tester. And then if they like it, then they can get further involved with it. And that's one of the reasons that we like to teach at the veterinary schools as well, is so that we can open up opportunities, things that they might not have thought of before. And I teach regularly at Colorado State University. In fact, CSU was the first school to bring in the CADA master program and core curriculum. Now others are starting to pull it in as an elective, which is great, you know, just opening up those opportunities for vet students to get exposed. But from CSU, there's been a fair amount of students that have decided to join this industry. And it's been just wonderful. Wow. Talking about all of this education that's available with more and more people being involved in end-of-life care and the education that's available, what's one thing that you want to see incorporated into every euthanasia procedure? Oh, good question. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I touched on before the importance of establishing rapport. I'm going to grab that first. I'll probably touch on a couple of them based on what we learned from that pet owner survey. But for me, it's establishing rapport because we've got to get that oxytocin flowing. And that oxytocin is that love hormone, the morale molecule, as they call it. If we don't get that flowing and we're not bonded with our client, if things go wrong, they start to go sideways and we got maybe a dysthanasia on our hand, a bad death experience, especially from the technical aspect. If we don't have that oxytocin, those families are going to be less likely to forgive. They're going to be angrier. They're going to have a harder mental time with this and they're going to struggle. 
but by establishing rapport, there tends to be more patience, there's more forgiveness, there's more tolerance if things start to go sideways. So man, we really have got to get that locked in from the beginning so that there's a lot of trust. So that's what I would love to see across the board grow. And we do that by slowing down the euthanasia appointment, right? Taking time to hear stories, increasing the length of the appointment time itself in the calendar, right? Going from a 30 minute slot to a 60 minute slot of which the veterinarian does not have to be in the room for all of that. It can be what we refer to as a euthanasia attendant that's walking the family through the appointment from beginning to end. That's, that's gonna be a veterinary assistant. That's gonna be a veterinary technician, all fine. You know, or it might be the veterinarian themselves, but slowing down and establishing rapport. And then the second one for me would be the importance of pre-euthanasia sedation or anesthesia before anything technical is done. So changing our culture in our hospitals from taking the pets back to the treatment area to place a catheter, bringing them back to the room and then administering something like propofol, changing that to being in the room with the family, providing sub-Q or IM sedation or anesthesia right there with treats if the pet's still eating, allowing then the, the pet to relax with the owner present, and then all technical things happen there going forward. That also came from our study. It showed that owners do not want to be separated from their pet. So let's keep them together. Yes, that means we got to bring in our best phlebotomist that's going to find the veins. But hey, if that's stressing for the team, switch to intraorgans. You never have to place a catheter again. You never have to find a vein again if you don't want to for pretty much any animal under you know, 200 pounds, you'd be just fine. Even pot-bellied pigs, you can do intracardiacs on. Great. It works really well. So, so to reduce away that fear of, uh, you know, having to place catheters with owners present, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Those of us who have been doing mobile euthanasia for, for, you know, a decade now, and, and then some, we do everything in front of the owner and it's been great. You know, no, no worries about that at all. Then the last thing I'll just say is the importance of better pre-planning, opening up conversations around euthanasia sooner, giving families better choice about where they want to be for euthanasia, who they want to be there, keeping in mind that this is the one procedure the veterinary procedure where owners expect to be present. 80% of families want to be present for the death of their pet. And, and therefore they want to stay connected all the way through. They want reduced pain and anxiety and everything to go as smooth as possible. So we, we need to do it right. But if it doesn't go well, we also need to practice forgiveness of ourselves and use anything like that as a legacy for improvement. Fantastic. Dr. Cooney, this has been such an amazing conversation. I feel like I could sit here and talk to you for two more hours. Instead, I'll probably have to take the masterclass and educate myself in some of these techniques because I feel like, you know, I, I know a fair bit about euthanasia and have done a fair number of euthanasias, but every time I talk to you, it just opens my eyes up to how much more research is out there, how much more there is to learn, and how, just like so many things in veterinary medicine, we can continue to improve and grow just throughout our career, which is one of my favorite parts of this field in general. So thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me about this today. It has been fascinating. And for our listeners, I know we've talked about it a little bit so far, but can you just give them a reminder of where they can find more information about CADA if, like me, they're going, this was awesome, I need to learn more? 
We welcome everyone to the CADA website at cadainternational.com. Again, CADA is C-A-E-T-A, standing for the Companion Animal Euthanasia Training Academy. So cadainternational.com. And on there, there's the link and the resources for our training programs, for our blogs. There's information in there on research. So if you're wanting to participate in any of our, of our research studies, there's usually links there as well. Then we have our social media. We've got a a private Facebook group, which has over 2000 members now that's open to all veterinary professionals, including those that work in the shelter industry. So euthanasia technicians also participate in our closed Facebook group where we have lots of conversations about procedures and communication and, and some of those challenges that we face. And we also have usually the first Sunday of the month in the evening, we have a session called You Boosters, where I get on for 30 minutes and we just brainstorm and talk about all kinds of euthanasia topics live and that's been well received too. So kdainternational.com is the best place to start and then our on our Facebook LinkedIn pages as well. I look forward to learning more myself and I hope everybody else who's listening will take advantage of those resources because it's a fascinating topic and such a cool model that you've put together to, to provide excellent education for everyone in the veterinary field. Thank you again so much for joining me. I've had such a good time talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. And for all of our listeners, go be angels out there. We're all grateful for what you do. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to check out some of the resources we mentioned here and continue to try to improve my euthanasia abilities to help improve the experience for my clients and my patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Cooney. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you to Kata for making this episode possible. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for what you'd like to hear in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Mm -hmm.